Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, this podcast episode is brought to you by our sponsor, St. Gaster. So are you looking at getting your product into the hands of the right people, the people that are going to absolutely love it? Did you know that podcast advertising is literally 4.4 times more effective than the traditional display type of advertising? So if you're looking at really using podcast advertising, you may want to connect with Sencaster. So they've created this thing. It's called the Sencaster Podcast Marketplace, where you can connect as a brand or a company with the right type of creators. And again, you know, via Sencaster, you can connect with people like myself, where essentially we are putting ads of the brands and the companies that we absolutely love. So again, if you are interested in doing this, just go to send.ai forward slash dealmakers1, and that is a number one. And again, the team at Sencaster will be able to guide you in the right direction. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a very exciting founder. We're going to be talking about racing in COVID. We're going to be talking about building, scaling, running out of runway with like term sheets falling apart. I mean, it's going to be full of adrenaline today. So hopefully you're all ready to get inspired. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, AJ Piplica. Welcome to the show. Hey, good morning, Alondra. How are you? Very well, very well. So give us a little bit of a walk through memory lane. AJ, so how was life growing up? Tell us about being born in Por- in Porchester and then going all the way to Tampa. Oh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was born uh, up in uh, up in New York. I uh, grew up there in the kind of White Plains area. Moved down to Florida when I was uh, around six with my parents. Um, funny enough, I, I found out just a few years ago, uh, I, thought, I thought we moved from my dad's job. Uh, it turned out we moved for a startup that failed a couple months later. So I guess I had entrepreneurship in my blood. And I didn't even know it. Um, but uh, yeah, I grew up in uh, the Tampa Bay area uh, down in Florida. Went to high school down there um, and came up to uh, Georgia Tech for, for college in 2005. Uh, focused in aerospace engineering. Um, kind of always liked building things and, and really always liked the future. And, and aerospace for me was kind of the, the nexus of you know technology and, and people. and, and you know, really got me excited. I, I wouldn't say that I knew exactly what I was getting myself into. And, you know, showed up first day of uh, introduction to aerospace and everybody's listing off all their favorite airplanes. And I'm like, I watched Star Trek once. It was cool. Um, but uh, yeah, no, grew on me very quickly. Um, did a couple uh, co-op tours down at NASA Johnson Space Center down in Houston, Texas. Uh, worked on everything from the shuttle wing leading edge impact detection system all the way through uh, lunar lander plume impingement, figuring out where dust goes when you land on the moon to uh, understanding the aerothermal environment around the space shuttle when it's re-entering. Um, and, and that experience really got me kind of hooked into aerodynamics and, and hypersonics specifically. Um, you know, continued that through undergrad and uh, moved forward to working at a company called Spaceworks here in Atlanta uh, after I graduated um, while, I was, uh, while I was doing my master's work. And um, you did a lot of work in hypersonics, worked on a number of reusable launch vehicle programs and uh, hypersonic aircraft uh, development programs in the early stages. Uh, and that kind of really solidified you know, the fact that uh, I think hypersonics was, was really where my passion lied and, and where I wanted to uh, you know, apply my trade. Um, 
and uh, yeah, you know, had an opportunity there to uh, you know grow uh, outside of, of just engineering into the business world. Um, you know, an opportunity to, to run a, a subsidiary company uh, called Generation Orbit, and you know, it took a couple of years to get the company off the ground and you know, built it up to uh, you know about twenty people or so, and uh, did uh, did quite a bit of uh, a bit of development there on the X60A uh, hypersonic uh, flight test bed. So, uh, took, and, uh, and at what point at what point do you realize? Because I mean, obviously, here you are. You know, you've been at it now in 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 the corporate world for for you know more than a decade, and you know making that leap of faith into entrepreneurship is not easy. You know, it takes quite a bit. So, so what was that process like for you? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think uh, my time at Generation Orbit was was really formative for me. Um, it was from a from a management perspective, I had all the responsibilities of a startup founder um, without really the the risk. Um, so it was it was it was an entrepreneurial experience, um, given that kind of it, it was within the confines of another company. Um, so I think that that really gave me the chance to explore and learn through uh, how uh, how to be uh, you know a professional that's leading a company, um, and you know how to hire, uh, how to build a team, how to execute, um, how to sell. All of those things had opportunities to learn and, and like frankly fail a, a lot along the way, um, and that I think really. Uh, kind of helped uh, help kind of form who who I became um, you know as we uh, you know left generation orbit and and went to found Hermius but um, you know it was that is that generation orbit where I found uh, and, and met my co-founders I hired all of them from from different places throughout the commercial space world and I learned so much uh, from them given that you know I'd never worked at SpaceX or, or Blue Origin um, but together you know for about three years uh, building generation orbits you know we had the opportunity to be in the trenches uh, together, build a company, builds builds uh, you know product, um, and, and really uh, drive a, a really strong bond that I think gave us gave all of us the confidence uh, that uh, you know we could jump off a cliff together and, and try to build an airplane uh, on on the way down uh, when it came to Hermes. So um, yeah, I think uh, it was it became pretty clear to all of us that there there really isn't a technical problem that we couldn't solve. Um, we just needed to make sure that uh, we we're solving the right ones. Uh, together and, and you know, I think we, we found that in, in Hermes. And how did you land into knowing that you were solving the right problem and how did it become so evident to you all that you needed to to get started and get to work on this? Yeah, so there were kind of three major things that, that we uh, that we noticed um, when it came to, to founding Hermes. So number one, uh, we realized that the technology necessary to build a hypersonic aircraft um, was mature enough, at least at the component level, to get started today um, it, it was really an engineering challenge not a science uh, science challenge so uh, at, at Mach 5 at least I don't, I don't think these assumptions hold if you go much faster or frankly even much slower um, but but in the you know Mach 3 to 5 range you don't need to invent new materials you don't need to invent a new propulsion cycle or anything like that um, the trick is really how you design the fully integrated system uh, to be able to, to fly the mission so um, you know that uh, that realization, I think, was was pretty clear, and uh, you know, applying you know that uh, to the different markets that, that we had ahead of us. So obviously, like you know, flying passengers is the uh, you know the, the long term goal for for what we want to do, and that has guided every decision that we've made along the way. It was pretty easy to take a look at um, you know the the passenger market between the major cities that are that are near the coast, um, both in the Atlantic Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. Um, and understand that, like, yes, that that market is very, very large and can sustain um, not just one company uh, building high-speed airplanes, but probably many. 
Um, so that that was that was like quite obvious. Um, There's there was a point where I think when when we were pitching, I can't remember if it was our, our seed round or our Series A, uh, but we had used to have a chart in our pitch deck that was like this is the market for hypersonic passenger travel, and uh, <laughs> we ended up taking it out because everybody we get to that chart and everybody's like this is obvious, keep going. Um, so the the next real question that you know, that kind of came back to the beginning was like okay, if the market is obvious, what's what's the challenge here? And, and this is kind of like maybe heretical for an engineer to say, but like the, the technology problems are hard, the financial problems are harder. And that's really where, uh, you know, the key to the whole kingdom here is, is how you bridge the financial valley of death from, you know, being able to raise say hundreds of millions of dollars to bring in the billions of dollars that are necessary to design, build, certify, and produce, uh, you know, a new aircraft, um, uh, that that's never been built before. Um, and you know, we, were, we realized we weren't just going to raise billions of dollars of private capital to do it. We needed it another way. And, and you know, none of the four of us are billionaires to start out with. So we had to do it the hard way. And that meant solving really important problems for customers with the pieces of technology that we were building uh, along the way. Um, and the, the military or defense applications for uh, specifically autonomous hypersonic aircraft is, is where we found that solution. And we realized that. Um, yeah, that gave us, I think, uh, a good a good chunk of confidence that, that we could get there at the end of the day. And then finally, um, on the private capital side, um, you know, we'd seen uh, massive amounts of capital going to a wide range of different aerospace projects. We're, we're in this crazy aerospace renaissance today, not just in hypersonics, but in uh, launch and satellites and eVTOL, hydrogen aircraft, um, sustainable aviation fuels, all these these great things. Used, people used to ask me, like, what decade do you wish you lived in? And my answer used to be the 50s. Um, but it, it's now. Um, it's definitely now. There's there's really no better time to to live and work um, in in the airspace world than, than right now. Um, so you know those three things together: the technology, the defense market, and, and private capital being available were really the three things that drove us to, to found the company when we did. And in terms of the uh, business model for the people that are listening to really get it, what ended up being the business model here? How do you, how do you guys make money? Sure. So um, it kind of changes and evolves over time, um, but uh, kind of like lay out the the roadmap here from. Uh, tech de-risking and then from a kind of build it back off from the business side. So, uh, you know, the, the long-term product that we want to build is uh, is an aircraft called Halcyon. Um, so it's a passenger aircraft, carries about 20 people, um, crosses the Atlantic Ocean in about 90 minutes. Um, so the business model for that one is is very much like, uh, you know, an airline OE or an aircraft OEM like uh, Boeing or an Airbus where you're building aircraft, you sell them to airlines, airlines operate them, and you support maintenance uh, along the way. Wow. 90 minutes. So that's 90 minutes compared to how long does it take now for the people? Seven hours. Seven hours. Wow. That's unbelievable. So, you know, in order to get there, um, you know, we, we'd be naive to try and just build a, you know, 20-passenger Mach 5 aircraft right off the bat. So uh, the, the first step for us is, is building an aircraft that can get up to Mach 5 and get back. Um, so something that can that can be, you know, go to high speed and be reusable. Uh, that aircraft is called Quarter Horse. Um, so, uh, we're, in the, we're in the process of, of uh, designing and building that aircraft right now and testing the propulsion system for it. But the business model around it is um, one of uh, flight tests. So um, it's uh, it's very expensive to uh, get data uh, from you know, Mach 5 plus flight conditions. Uh, I think the going rate today is somewhere between 5 and $10 million for one flight where you might get seconds of data and you don't get your payload back. So um, if... Uh, if you can bring reusability to the game there and uh, allow you know, researchers and, and people uh, you know, developing technology to, to fly in hypersonic conditions, um, if they can do that more frequently and significantly less expensively, 
then there's a pretty good business there. So uh, that for us is, is more of a services model where we build the aircraft, we operate the aircraft ourselves uh, for research and development purposes. Um, and then, uh, you know, the product that's delivered at the end of the day to our customers is, is the data. Um, so kind of it's it's almost like a, a launch services model uh, where instead of putting a payload in orbit, we're putting a payload in a particular flight mission, but giving it back to, to our customers. Um, and then the, the next step for us is uh, kind of the, the bridge between Quarter Horse and, and Halcyon is an aircraft called Dark Horse. Um, so we haven't talked too much uh, about what it is, but but really it is just, it is focused on proving out the long duration high speed flight challenges. So, uh, you know, while Quarter Horse just gets up to high speed and comes back, Dark Horse will actually cruise. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll have kind of proven out all the uh, all the things that are necessary to you know, go develop Halcyon. Uh, but Dark Horse, um, you know, uh, has uh, some really unique uh, defense applications, um, and the business model for that can you know range from you know a couple different uh, a couple different things uh, that we haven't quite decided on yet. So, um, but you know, the, we'll eventually bridge from kind of owner operator from at the quarter horse level to you know, OEM and, and maintainer at the Halcyon level. Hey guys, so pardon the interruption here. I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance you know that would carry me through the process whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition so that gap that i found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when i met my co-founder at pantera mike sieverson to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com and we would love to take a look at helping you out. And in terms of, I mean, you were alluding to this earlier. I mean, obviously you guys went at this and and you were you were not like billionaires, right? So, I mean, how have you gone about uh, capitalizing the business? How much yeah, have you raised? So, yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, we've obviously relied pretty heavily on, on venture capital and, and we've got a really fantastic group of investors um, who have who've joined the team over the course of the past three years. Um, so to date, we've raised about $125 million. Um, you know, names on our on our cap table include Coastal Ventures. So they uh, led our seed rounds. Canaan Partners led our Series A and Sam Altman uh, led our Series B. Um, along the way, we've also had other uh, other firms join, including, uh, sorry, including Incutel. Um, and uh, Raytheon uh, Technologies Ventures, as well as a number of other small firms and individual investors. So, um, yeah, over the past three years, we've been really, really lucky um, with with partners that uh, have uh, have decided to join us on this journey. And very lucky too on the seed round because you guys were about a month away from uh, turning <laughs> the lights off. So, so what happened there? What happened there with that term sheet falling apart? Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, you know. 
building a startup and fundraising around it is is very much an emotional roller coaster. And yeah, there's there's a specific week that I remember very vividly, uh, where you know we, we just brought in a, a group of advisors: uh, Rob Meyerson, who formerly ran Blue Origin; uh, Rob Weiss, who ran Skunkworks at Lockheed Martin; uh, Keith Masback, uh, who's been all over the intelligence community; and uh, George Neald, uh, who used to run the FAA Commercial Space Transportation Office. Uh, so some like incredibly respected people who. Um, you know, we had somehow convinced, uh, you know, to join us as, as advisors. So we'd gotten everybody together. It was, you know, really, really great couple days. And, um, you know, we were negotiating uh, a term sheet at the time for uh, our seed round investment. And uh, so we went from this really big high to uh, <laughs> at the end of the meeting, I got an email that the firm that we were working with was was pulling out. So it's a huge, huge low. Um, and at this point, uh, we were maybe one or two months away from, you know, running out of, you know, the, the runway that we had uh, you know, negotiated with our families at the time. Uh, this is you know before we had any money, so we you know quit our relatively good paying jobs and gave ourselves six months to, to prove some of these hypotheses that, that we had correct. And uh, we we're getting pretty darn close to the to the end of the line there. And you know, we we kind of had to take a, a mental health day. And uh, <laughs> during that day, we uh, we kind of decided to take a little uh, page out of the uh, Airbnb playbook. So if you kind of go back and look, uh, Airbnb, before they were Airbnb, as we know them today, they're, again, trying to like keep the company going. And, and they came up with this idea for Obama O's, uh, which is like a, a cereal uh, to like you know, sell and make money as to keep the keep their dream going. So uh, for us, we kind of, so there's myself and, and three other co-founders, we broke up into two groups, Mike, Mike and myself, uh, Hashed out a business model for a, a Hamon cart. Um, so my my dad had uh, had gotten a, a leg of Hamon Serrano at, at Christmas time from his company, and he uh, my mom didn't want it in the house, so she sent it up to us, and you know that that kept the four of us fed and and alive for for a couple months as we were going through this process. And uh, we realized, hey, the margins on Hamon Serrano and and uh, Hamon Iberico are, are actually quite good. So um, yeah, we uh, we like designed out a cart. There's a whole you know spreadsheet model for. Uh, you know, we figured out, we learned a lot more about permitting in Piedmont Park here in Atlanta for services than we ever thought we would building a hypersonic airplane company. But it uh, turns out it can actually be a pretty good business. And uh, in the meantime, Glenn and Skyler were off uh, working a separate thing, always good to diversify. Uh, so their, uh, their thing that they were pursuing was uh, basically putting a hot tub on the back of a truck and driving it around and have people kind of like the, you know, pedal taverns that you have in different places. And they had just been up to Nashville. So their idea was called Get Wet Nashville. And, uh, yeah, so good thing that that only lasted a day. And I think the, the day after that, we got a call from, uh, some folks at, uh, at Coastal Ventures saying, Hey, we'd love for you guys to come out and, uh, and chat with the team. So, um, that was a crazy roller coaster of, uh, of a week. And, um, you know, that ended up being, uh, you know, being the folks who, who led our seed round and, uh, you know, talk about bringing it down to the wire. Uh, we closed the rounds, uh, like the dollars hit our bank account. I think like 6.30 p.m. on the last day of that, like last month of the six months. So uh, like mortgage payments would do the next day, student loan payments would do the next day. We're like ready to submit job applications. Uh, it was about as down to the wire as you could imagine. Wow. Um, I, I was like, I was on stage pitching at a pitch competition at the time, uh, and which I actually lost. Uh, so, <laughs> um, and which is funny because the the folks who did it, which was um, Revolution Rise of the Rest of Steve Case's fund, they actually ended up investing later in the seed round. But um, yeah, so uh, it was it was definitely an emotional roller coaster. But very glad to to get that done, get some money in the bank, and uh, get rolling. And all that money that you guys have raised, so you, so you were alluding to it, oh, 120 million plus. 
how has it been like for an aerospace um, type of company? Like, what is the what is that journey from going from one cycle to the other? You know, and and, yeah. and how do the expectations vary from one cycle to the next? Sure. So. You know, I think the way that I've, I've kind of learned to think about it is um, really, really from a perspective of, of risk. So, you know, as, as you're raising capital for a very hardware intensive company that's, you know, is not going to have a product for, for some time, like you'll need to raise multiple rounds of capital uh, before you're able to get a product out to customers. Um, really requires that at each stage, you're buying down significant risk. And there's kind of three main categories for risk. From a venture capital perspective, there's there's team risk, there's tech risk, and there's market risk, and and usually investors are willing to take one out of those three. And you know, for a deep tech startup, that place is going to be in the technology. So that means you can't have market risk and you can't have team risk. Uh, so for us, that that's kind of how it laid out, like the technology and, and demonstrating that you know what we wanted to do was was possible and that it could work is really where the the risk lied. So you know at each stage, you know where we raise capital from our seed round to our Series A and, and now to our Series B. Um, you know, each of those those chunks of capital came in with a plan for, um, hey, the, this is the technical risk that we're going to buy down uh, you know, with with what we're bringing in. This is where we'll be when we're done with it. And this is why you know, this will get us to a point where we've reduced enough risk to raise the next round of capital. Uh, so in our seed rounds, you know, that technical de-risk was demonstrating that the architecture for the engine that we're building uh, works. So you know, taking an off-the-shelf gas turbine engine, integrating a, a RAM burner on the back of it, and, and showing that you know you could operate over the full range of you know not moving on the ground to you know Mach four to five up, up at high altitude. Um, doing that at subscale uh, was was kind of what we had had laid out to do, and we did that in about nine months with a million and a half dollars. Um, during the seed round, and and that you know led to our Series A, uh, which focused on kind of demonstrating the the government market piece of that, as as well as scaling up the engine technology to you know scale that can actually fly. Um, and then now with our Series B, it's taking that engine technology, putting it into an aircraft, and and actually demonstrating it in in flight. Um, and of course, continuing to you know scale things on the team and and the business side as well. So, uh, yeah, you know each each time you're you're upping the ante in terms of uh, you know the, the stakes, the risk. Um, and, and everything, and it really forces you know you as an individual, as a founder, and as a team to to kind of look in the mirror and say, what do I need to do to grow and, and be successful at this? And most of the answer to that is like try and fail a lot along the way, um, and uh, you know surround yourself with uh, you know, with with people who uh, are you know like number one better at you, better than you at, at as as many of the things in in your repertoire as you can get, uh, and, and folks who are committed to the you know the long term you know, vision of the company. And how was raising in COVID? <laughs> yeah, raising uh, raising capital for an aerospace company, like a transportation company, in the, in the middle of a global pandemic, uh, was uh, was quite a hoot. <laughs> I think um, so. We we started in uh, February of 2020, uh, which is kind of right before um, you know everything kind of locked down here in the United States. Um, and we got through, you know, the first round of pitches and, and right at the end of it, we had like, we're in San Francisco, we're based in Atlanta. So you know, we're traveling out to San Francisco. And even over the course of a week, we went from, you know, in-person meetings, everything like regular to by the end of the week, uh, everything was virtual, um, uh, which, which was kind of crazy. So, um, luckily we had completed all the, the testing and everything that we needed to do ahead of that. But yeah, so now we, we transitioned from, uh, you know, in person to, you know, the entire world was, was virtual. <laughs> there was, there was a part of our pitch where we used to say like, you wouldn't make an investment like this over zoom, would you? We stopped saying that. Um, because, uh, yeah, everything, everything 
in, in kind of how investing was done and, and the world changed. So, um, you know, we uh, we kind of pulled back a little bit um, as, uh, you know, the, the pandemic started to, to ramp up and, and we all kind of figured out what, what was going on and, and how the world was going to be. Um, and kind of refactored what we were, um, you know, what we were pitching for, and and you know what the next step for the, the company was, and it you know, went back out later in 2020, uh, toward the the third uh, third quarter, uh, yeah, late, late third quarter. I think in, over the course of the process, uh, we I think had like 69 no's, um, which uh, yeah, you kind of get used to that. You have to develop a, a pretty thick skin, and, and you know try to extract as much uh, kind of feedback and value, and, and you know, be introspective about what you, what you hear back from folks and iterate based on based on that. Um, but it only takes one yes at the end of the day, um, and and that yes was from uh, you know Rich Boyle and his, and his team at uh, at Kane and Partners. So um, yeah, they were very excited about uh, about what we're building, and um, you know just like just like Coastal Ventures, who you know had had multiple experiences with deep tech aerospace companies in the past, from Starbucks or Skybox Imaging to Rocket Lab, they kind of understood you know both. Uh, the amount of capital that's required for these things, how long they take, what the risks are, um, and we kind of spoke the same language. It's very much, very much the same with uh, you know, with Rich and and Kanan. So, um, yeah, you know, very, very happy to get there at the end of the day. And I think it was uh, you know October of 2020. Um, I was uh, <laughs> my my wife was due uh, with the first child at the time, and I was like, all right, guys, we need to close this before <laughs> my dad. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, so thankfully we we did get that done as well. I didn't have to uh, do too much uh, emailing while we were in the delivery room. But uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, since then uh, it's it's been nothing but uh, nothing but growth. Now, for the people that are listening to really get an understanding of perhaps the scope and size of the company, I mean, anything that you can share on maybe like number of employees or anything else that you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, so we're uh, we're about uh, about seventy five or so uh, at this point uh, here in in twenty twenty two, and you know we're going to get up to around a hundred or so by the end of the year. Um, and uh, you know, assuming you know things go kind of green lights to Malibu as as fast as we uh, as we expect and we're prepared for, you know, the company could uh, kind of continue to double on an annual basis. So um, you know, at the beginning of 2020, we were seven people, eight people. So, uh, just in that year, I think we, we doubled and then in 2021, we tripled and, uh, you know, again, you know, doubling this year. So yeah, quite, quite a bit of growth. And, and that's, uh, you know, always been a challenge, uh, to kind of scale, uh, you know, kind of the culture and everything as, as things grow. And how do you scale culture? <laughs> uh yeah there's there's no real easy solution other than kind of being authentic uh being honest about it uh talking about it a lot but by all but but more than anything living it um like you can write whatever nice words up on the wall that that you want that define the culture that you want to have but uh, I'll I'll you know harken back to Ben Horowitz's uh second book uh which is you know what you do is who you are um and you know there are only so many ways that a company can you know, take actions, but uh, when it comes to the culture, um, you know, it's it's like who you hire, who you promote, um, who you let go, uh, and and how you kind of you know help people grow within the culture that you want. And you know, for us, we were very very deliberate upfront about kind of defining uh, the culture that we wanted. You know, from an engineering perspective, you know, very hardware focused, vertically integrated, uh, pushing to integrated hardware and software systems as quickly as possible, testing, iterating. Um, you know, not sitting in analysis land for you know for years and years, and then doing so you know with uh, you know kind of elements of speed, really strong decision making that's grounded in first principles, system level understanding, driving accountability to the to the very lowest levels in the company, and doing in doing so 
distributing the context that's necessary to make good decisions at, at those levels. Um, all of that kind of pulls together. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's like literally making sure you, you were doing uh, the things that, that you want to be. And, and of course, it's, it's talking about it as well and, and sharing stories. And, you know, so we have a number of different parables that we've kind of, you know, written that kind of embody the the culture that, uh, that we're trying to build. And, you know, there's, you know, all of our conference rooms here are named kind of silly things that nobody knows about. Um, but they're they're good little icebreakers. Like we have we have one called Woo. Uh, so people come in for the first time for like an interview. They're like, "Why is this conference room called Woo?" It's like, well, we always want to remind ourselves to celebrate the little wins uh, along the way. So uh, yeah, so all, all sorts of things like that. Some some little things, but at the end of the day, it's 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 what you do. Now, in terms of you know the future here, I mean, imagine that you go to sleep tonight and you wake up in a world where the vision is fully realized for the company. I mean, what what does that world look like? Well, I'm definitely waking up in my own bed and not on an airplane. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> um, no, I think uh, you know, one of the things that, 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 you know, again, at the beginning really, really drove us to you know, go out and, and take these risks and, and go try and achieve this um, was that the implications if we were successful were massive. Um, so if you, like, you look back in history at, at when transportation networks have accelerated, um, when Rome built out their roads, when uh, we switched from sail power to steam power, marine shipping, when uh, you know, went from or when trying to put in high-speed rail in the 20th century, they're all accompanied by massive social and economic growth. Um, so social growth from exchanging of ideas, uh, building stronger relationships and bonds between people more quickly. Um, from an economic standpoint, it's like multiple single-digit points of GDP growth in the affected regions. Now, we haven't had an acceleration of transportation at a global level since the dawn of the jet age, um, you know, 70, you know, 60, 70 years ago now. Um, we've been moving around the world at Mach 0.8. Um, which means there's like this latent potential to humanity that can be unlocked if we can move around the world faster. Um, and I think we've all seen as we've gone through this, um, you know, this pandemic over, over the past couple of years that, you know, really we're kind of going to you know, live with, live with this for a while, the face-to-face -face interaction really matters. Um, you know, there's, there's, there is definitely a lot that is lost uh, in, in, you know, working over a, a you know, Zoom or a Teams call or whatever. And, you know, it's through those face-to-face -face interactions that, that we grow the most as, as human beings and as a species. And, you know, that is a world that I want to live in and that I want my children to live in. Um, you know, not to mention even, you know, the, the national security um, applications of the technology. Um, it can be a, an immense deterrent, um, you know, to, to large-scale conflict. And, you know, we, <laughs> as we've seen with, with what's going on in, in Ukraine right now, we're probably going to need more and more of that going forward. So, um, yeah, if we can solve defense problems accelerate the world and, and unlock the potential of humanity. Um, that's something worth pursuing. Now imagine, AJ, that I put you in a time machine. And I bring you, and I fly you back in time, okay? Oh, that, that's, I, the next, that's the next product. <laughs> there you go, there you go. And I fly you back in time. And to a moment where, you know, you're able to have a chat with your younger self. And uh, you're able to tell that younger self or share with that younger self one piece of advice before launching a business. What would that be and why? Oh man. Um, well, I think I think in my case specifically, I would have said uh, go build more uh, while you're while you're in school. Um, go explore more. Like I, I did I did a little bit, but um, you know I, I see the opportunities that uh, you know, young folks have today. You know, folks who are coming in as, as interns and um, you know the the ability to kind of spread your wings and, and try all of these different things in different areas. I mean, I, I kind of. Um, you know, iterated a little bit, but not nearly as much as as I think I could have. Um, and that that breadth of experience 
is so, so critical. And I got a lot of that when I was at Spaceworks because I you know, got to work on concept development for all these different things, not just you know, aircraft and, and rockets, but uh, electric propulsion systems and, and all these crazy things. Um, but it was at the conceptual level. I wasn't, I wasn't building or designing you know, anything that was going to happen in the, in the real world. Um, so you know, I, I always encourage students today, like take on as many, uh, as many challenges as you can where you're going to go from you know, concept on the back of a napkin to something moving in the real world. Um, because you know, through those kind of full life cycle uh, projects, that's how you really learn how to engineer and, and design you know, good systems that are going to be robust and um, and how to do so in a, in a collaborative and, and team environment. And, um, yeah, that's something that's uh, I definitely wish that that I'd done more ahead of ahead of starting a company. And AJ, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Oh, Twitter. Yeah, so uh, you can find me on Twitter. I think it's at AJ Kaplica. Yeah, if uh, if folks are uh, you know interested in, in working on hypersonic airplanes uh, here in the states, um, absolutely you know check out the careers page at uh, on our on the Hermes website. Um, you know, we're always growing and always looking for the really talented folks who uh, want to have a major impact to change the world. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, AJ, for being on the Dealmaker Show. It has been an honor to have you with us. Pleasure. Thanks so much. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.